You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. This is our third uh, session together uh, on the topic of soulcraft. In the first week, we emphasize the craftsmanship of really attending to relationships. And if we had a theme verse for our time, it would be the Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that they would discern what is best and be filled with the fruit of righteousness until the day of Christ Jesus. So Philippians 1, 9 through 11 is kind of my soulcraft text here. It's my prayer that indeed we would grow in that, in that love that works itself out in depth of insight and understanding. Then last week, we kind of focused on Psalm 139 and the fact that we are made in God's image. In Genesis 1 and 2 to uh, Psalm 139, Psalm being a, a prayer that sort of does the Genesis passage uh, in worship. And the fact that being made in God's image, you've never met a mere mortal. Uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, understanding that uh, we're, we are really uh, working with people that... Uh, are extraordinary because they're made in God's image with a capacity to reason, to think, to worship, to relate, to love. Now, this week we're going to focus on friendship. And we just have a few minutes together. And I'm going to lay out six. And if you notice, I'm going to read the six elements uh, to this discussion on friendship because we're just sort of charting and then I'll back up and we'll take some insight hopefully on that. I define soulcraft as the art of discerning, applying, and enjoying the wisdom of God in every aspect of life. And that soulcraft gets worked out. True spirituality gets worked out in relationships. Now my first point, God designed us in such a way that the measure of our communion with him is reflected in the depth of our relationships with others. So communion with God and community with one another are related. Our worship of God and our relationship with others is integrated. Um, the two, number two, I'm going to come back. The term friends is unusually elastic for good reason. We have convenience-oriented Friendships. I don't know if any of you choose a certain line uh, at Publix because you know the register clerk, you know her uh, or him, um, and you choose that just because of the banter that goes back and forth between you. Uh, you'll even get into a longer line because of, of that person. This is good. Convenience-oriented friendships are not bad. Um, they're important. They're useful. And then companion-level friendships, they're encouraging. And then soul-nurturing friendships, those are invaluable. Number three, often when people are wishing for friends, they're actually looking for servants who will meet their emotional and relational needs. 
Friendship is something that is very organic, develops naturally. And I'm going to make the point that you can't make friends. Friends are a gift. You can receive friends. I don't think we can make them. And then number four, we always risk disappointment when we engage in friendship. There's a vulnerability that's involved in becoming a friend and in being a friend. We always risk disappointment. And I'll reference Job and Augustine uh, in in a few moments. Number five, friendship is a gift. We do not make friends as much as receive friends. Building friendships is not a performance-driven human achievement, but a slow work of God's grace. And number six, soul-nurturing friendship is not exclusionary. This is one of the beautiful truths of Christ-centered friendship. It has a solid identity, but it's always open. There's always room at the table for one more, I think, in friendships that are are biblically based and Christ-centered. So back to number one. God designed us in such a way that the measure of our communion with him is reflected in the depth of our relationship with others. There's three passages, I list those in parentheses at the end of that paragraph, that I think are really uh, substantive and and helpful when we think of what it is to be a friend. And the first is in John chapter 15, in that upper room conversation that Jesus had with the disciples. And I'm reading from John 15 and verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Now this comes from last week's discussion that when there is this relationship with God that is celebrated in Psalm 139 and that is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the foundation upon which friendships can be built. Christians have a very distinctive view of friendship, that friendship is founded upon that gospel principle. I think we ought to make really good friends with people who have not found Christ. And I think the Christ core of our understanding of our relationship becomes fundamental in that relationship with the person who hasn't found Christ. Now that obviously leads to a kind of winsome, charitable, loving, thoughtful, careful relationship with the non-Christian friend. You're not pushing Christ, you're not selling Jesus, You're living on the basis of a Christ-like life in that relationship. And that's what makes it fundamentally important. Do all your friends know that you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? They probably should not have been friends for very long before discovering that about you. Because if that's at the core of your being, if that's who you are, a disciple of Jesus Christ, then how can somebody know you and not know that about you? Now, I'm not at all suggesting a kind of forceful, obnoxious way of knowing that, or certainly not a self-righteous kind of religious. I don't think it really helps just to say that you go to the Advent as a basis for that kind of Christian core understanding. 
how could somebody hear Jesus? And in a sense, what I'm, I guess what I'm suggesting to you is that the way to be a friend is first by having been befriended by Jesus. And having been befriended by Jesus, we'll put it in really uh, kind of odd language, Jesus, our best friend. I know he's Lord. He's King of Kings. But here he opens himself up to being our best friend in John 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Because we're befriended by God in Christ, we make good friends. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, again, doing what Jesus commanded, that sounds almost kind of utilitarian. I'll be your friend if you do what I say. But that's really not what Jesus is saying here is that the life that I would command would be the best life for you and the best life for the relationships that you would have with others. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father. I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Four Loves, makes the comment, and I quoted at the end of this uh, little sheet, that at the end of our life, well, you're going to turn there, so I'll turn there too. (laughs) Right by his picture, C.S. Lewis writes, a secret master of the ceremonies has been at work, Christ who said to his disciples, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you, can truly be said, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Interesting perspective, isn't it? The end of the day, we come to our relationships and we understand that I didn't choose you. God has chosen you for me. And God has chosen me for you. You've not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of all the others. Just think of how God has worked relationally in your own life and the friendships that God has blessed you with. Might you not agree with C.S. Lewis? It's not so much that I, by design and by my discernment and by whatever, have chosen you, but God has put us together. Uh, A few years ago, uh, I got a surprise letter from a high school friend. I graduated in high school in 1969. So that's a lot of years. Uh, in 2014, I got this letter just after Christmas. Uh, I had had no contact with Daryl Cruzen since 1969. And I get this letter, 2014. Hello, old friend. It is our hope you've had a blessed Christmas and a nice introductory paragraph. How are you? What have you been up to? 
since we last saw one another in Williamsville, New York. What are you currently doing? How's your life in the South? I have no idea how he found me. Um, And he never told me, even though we've exchanged several letters. His family living near, over the years I've thought about you often. I've wondered how God has used you and the journeys he has set you upon. Do you still play tennis? I would like to take this opportunity to thank you. He puts thank you in big, bold print and underlines it. Doug, for praying for my salvation during our high school time together. On the 22nd of November, 1970, just a year after we graduated, I repented of my sins, accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord of my life. At the time, I was on an extended college Thanksgiving holiday that autumn. I was attending a Christian Missionary Alliance church in Phoenix, Arizona, which my uncle, Raymond Stump, was pastoring. My life has never been the same. It was with a very grateful heart that I share this with you. Prayers were most certainly answered. Thank you, Doug. Now, I talked to Daryl time and time and time again, and he seemed so totally disinterested. Always coming back with an argument. Always coming back with some... He was a really close friend. I didn't talk to very many high school friends about Christ. Uh, I I think I was known as a Christian, but uh, he was one that I did. Um, He was a marginal character in our high school class, partly because he had an illness that took away all his hair, and uh, at least most all of it. So it it left him with, and he kind of lived on the edge then of his high school, not being very well accepted, but a great friend for me. Um, and I enjoyed the contact. We only lived a block away from each other. So to hear in 2014 that Daryl's lived an adult Christian life, he talks. He goes on to talk about marrying a Christian after uh, 20 years of being single and uh, a 40-year career in the forestry service. Uh, lives on Flathead Lake in Montana, the same lake that Eugene Peterson lives on, by chance. Um, I guess I look at that very much as an orchestration of the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, and the wonder of God. Two other texts I make reference to in parentheses there. These are kind of the famous texts on friendship, I think. Ruth 1, Uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, very well known to many Christians, uh, where Ruth says to Naomi, and Naomi has nothing to offer. (laughs) This is, the, I think, the point of uh, the story of of Ruth and Naomi. You know, Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of David and uh, very much a part of salvation history. A Moabite who gets connected to Naomi uh, as a... Uh, as a daughter-in-law whose husband then dies along with the father-in-law and along with the other brother. And Naomi is returning to Bethlehem as a broken, destitute. Everything's been taken away. And she's insisting that Ruth and her other daughter-in-law go back to their homeland, find husbands, live life. And this is what Ruth says in the first chapter. Don't urge me to leave you 
or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Again, that's a a friendship that is marked by God at the center and uh, of no utilitarian value to Ruth, as she understood it at the time when she swore that uh, companionship and friendship with Naomi, but something in Naomi, something in her depth. So my, while circumstantially and from a worldly point of view, she has nothing to offer, yet as to who she was, is, she had tremendous, uh, uh, an off, tremendous offering uh, to Ruth. And then that other passage, and I don't even bother turning to that, is when Jonathan and David, Jonathan, who is in next in line for the throne to King Saul, and yet he sees the future in David and the friendship and abiding and close friendship with David. And it means that Jonathan has to turn his back on family, on blood, because of what he sees as the genuineness of David and God's hand in David's life, to which he does. And you remember his famous line, let the Lord be between you and me, between my people and your people my generation and your generation forever and ever. And I guess, I think theologically that in every relationship that you and I have, we ought to think in terms of the Lord being between that person and us. That the Lord is between you and me. And that that, I think, so underlying thesis, If we're befriended by God in Christ, that becomes the foundation for those friendships that we have. Number two, the term friends is unusually elastic. Uh, Let's look at uh, psychologist David Brenner's Brenner's, uh, quote from his book, Sacred Companions. And he speaks here of the value of friendship. Long overshadowed by romantic love, friendship is easily undervalued. Moderns all too often assess its value primarily in terms of its usefulness for achieving material ends, friends as business contacts, hookups, or minimizing boredom and loneliness, friends as people to kill time with. The principal reason friendship is so undervalued is probably that too few people have ever experienced a significant, enduring friendship. One of the interesting things to test about a friendship is what topics will you not talk about? Like golf buddies. Okay, we'll talk about golf and those things that can be talked about related to that level of friendship. But uh, the moment something might be brought up that is serious, Uh, that is kind of outside of the realm of the fun of the hobby, then that relationship shuts down. Um, If you ever get a chance to read Death by Suburb, David gets his book. It's really, it's an easy read and it's worthwhile. It's not real deep, but I think it's very insightful. 
And he talks about the tendency for all of us, especially baby boomers, to uh, engage in transactional friendships. Friendships that have a utilitarian value to it. We befriend to get something out of it. Uh, David Brooks had a really interesting article this past week on when life requires everything. And the notion that if you follow Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, you really are following a path to your own personal autonomy. You're doing what you can do in order to achieve what you feel is self-fulfilling. And so everything is oriented around yourself, um, as opposed to understanding that the greatest joy in life is giving ourselves away is surrendering to a moral joy that is fulfilling and it, it goes beyond us and the, the capacity to find real meaning and fulfillment in seeing others finding meaning and fulfillment. But David gets his quote, spiritual friendship is subversive in an environment of transaction. It's under number two, under sacred companions by the picture death by suburb. Spiritual friendship is subversive in an environment of transaction and efficiency. The seventh life practice is finding and deepening the relationships that provide me the kind of community that meets some of my deepest longings. Friendship subverts the system of power, how things get done in the burbs and the class system organized around symbols of immortality. So in the friendship, we're not asking, how does this benefit me? What do I get out of it? Instead, we're giving ourselves away. And he sees that as a foundation for spiritual friendship. Number three, uh, looking for, how are we doing on time? Uh, a good friend of mine uh, who uh, was killed in a plane crash in Siberia, but for 10 years, Dan Lamb was a really good friend. Uh, he was, uh, a businessman that orchestrated construction projects on three continents, lived in London, uh, and after that period of time, lived in Denver. Uh, still a, a wealthy, very energetic Asian businessman, six feet tall. Um, we called him, or some people called him in our church, the Asian invasion. Uh, and he came into my office one day. I was pastor of adult ministries in this church in Denver. And... Uh, he said, I want you to do something for me. He said, I want you to write a curriculum for a Bible school in Mongolia, and I need it next week. <laughs> and I said, okay. He said, I want you to disciple me. And, I, you know, his reputation was within such... Week, yeah, within a week. I want you to disciple me. And I said, well, Dan, uh, you know, I know a little bit about you. Maybe, uh, maybe you ought to disciple me. And he said, no, I'm not interested in that. And I said, well, why don't we d decide to disciple one another? And he said, you know, I don't really care about you. I need somebody to hold me accountable. I need somebody that will, will help. What he was looking for, and he was very clear on this, was for me to do something for him to serve. And in retrospect, I really grew to appreciate that. He was upfront and clear, I need this. You've got the background and the gifts and capability to help me with this. Will you help me? 
He wasn't confusing service with friendship. And he was being very clear, okay, this isn't about friendship. This is about serving. Now, it grew into friendship because as C.S. Lewis says, you know, the romantic love is face-to-face. Friendship love is side-by-side, engaged in a task. And in the engagement of the task, often the friendship really blossoms and develops. So you have to be kind of clear in your relationships. Are you looking for service to meet your needs? Or are you looking to become, in the process, a friend who meets someone else's needs? We've run out of time, haven't we? Uh, Next time, uh, we'll look at two loves, uh, the relationship of romantic love and redemptive love, and the nature of that one person, one relationship. May the God of hope fill us with all peace and joy. And as we put our trust in him, may our hope abound through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, We hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.